Y'all know routine to get you in trouble, right? Routine will make you have to make a trip back from somewhere you went. That was unplanned. I'm just kidding. I told those three to get up and walk out like they normally would for kids saving, even though we had announced there was no kids saving. It was family service. Just so we had an extra illustration to go into for this morning. I'm serious. I think about routine to get you in trouble. That was pretty good for real. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about prayer today, right? That's what Paul's talking about. We're only doing a couple verses. Paul brings out prayer. And how many of you pray in a routine? How many of you pray in a routine and don't even mean to pray in a routine? That's what drives me nuts. I will get in a routine and I will catch myself and still do it. And I'm like, I don't want to do that, but I still, it just it, routine becomes natural sometimes. It'll get you in trouble though. Sometimes routine in life will do the same thing. If you go through the same routine in your life, you're going to get the same results, right? So what Paul's talking about here today, and he kind of ties, he's beginning to tie a lot of this stuff together. That's why I'm going to share an illustration with you guys for, for us. At this stage in Colossians, you're now taking everything he's been preaching, everything he's been writing to this church, and he's about to tell them, by the way, in this, this conclusion of chapter 4, he's going to say, I want you guys to read it, then I want you to pass it on to this other church, and I want them to read it. I want you to read their letter. And then I want you guys to take it into the city and read it to people in the city as well. So this, this thing, he wants it to be expanded and uh, expanded upon more and more and more uh, to more people. So it's, so it's got a lot of purposes to it. But it reminds me of this. Because at this stage in Colossians, you've got to decide if you're going to put your faith into action. Right? So it reminds me of Crystal and I on our honeymoon. We took this, this cruise. And, and one of the ventures on this cruise was we could go hiking. We could go caving, we could go ziplining, and then it ended with this rappel. And I thought that sounded awesome. And I was so excited about each part of it. Seriously, I'd never done anything like that. You guys know I never really went anywhere other than the beach. You know, that beach is enough. That's all you need, by the way, to get through life. Uh, but I never really went anywhere other than the beach until Chris and I got together. So we signed up for this excursion. We said, this is what we're going to do on, on this particular island. We're going to stay here longer and... And do it so. So, man, we went on the hike. It was great, right? Then they did the zip line, and for where I'm going, just made like I thought it was great. It was cool. Excited. Got into the caves. I'm not the smallest person, <laughs> so some areas were kind of tight. But it was a touristy cave. So for Jeremiah and others who were getting ready to really go caving, no, I didn't do the real deal. This is one somebody had already been in and set up stuff for us to. Map out and whatnot, but but I made it do it. It was fun. It was great. All that darkness and all that 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 the weird moments where you're touched on all your sides as you're trying to get through an area into another area, um, especially when you got people in front and behind you that sometimes you don't know. But good, good, good. Then we ended, and now I know why they ended this. This thing called repelling. Anybody ever repelled? You ever repelled from like a big area? I ain't talking about like one of them little like kitty ground. Playground little things where like you can put your foot down if you, you get to an area you can't touch. I'm talking like you so high up when you look down, the people below like actually begin to change size, right? Like the guy who was six foot now looks like he's like two foot. Um, you know, it's, it's a weird area. So you get up there and you're watching all these people. And here's me just being up front and honest, macho man, right? I'm watching some of these guys get up there and pause. So in my head, that's right, you pansy. Do what the man tells you to do. All you got to do is do what he says, and you'll get where he tells you to get. Right? So I'm thinking this all the way through, and I'm watching. You know, there's this line, so I'm watching these dudes, and, and I'm thinking the same thing. And I even got a flashback, dude, going back and watching uh, Sabrina and, and Daniel and a couple others. We had the opportunity to go to Paris Island and watch Graduate, where they have that repelling thing. If you've ever been to Paris Island, you get to see it. And I'm like, man, these guys are so scared. Like, Shh, what is this? And then you get up there. <laughs> and you look down, and you see how high you are. And then you wrap up, everything's still good. Everything's still good, right? No problems. You got this rope and you got this, I'm going to be honest, this little tiny Jamaican guy, right? So I'm looking at him and I'm looking at me and I'm thinking, bro, we, we don't match up too well, right? You're not going to be able to hold me and make me feel secure. But he tells me, he goes, oh, yeah, no problem. We do it all the time, much bigger than you. Like, turn around, hold this, and just, and just lay back. So I put my rope on and I hold that, what's it called, belay or whatever it is, right? So, so I got that and, and I lean back. And he tells me, no, 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 no. You got to lay back. And I said, no, 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 no. 
going to lean back. And he says, it'll never work if you lean and it'll never work. If you're trying to use your legs and your strength to hold the rope, so so in that lean, I you know flex up and, and hold the rope real good, and, and I had myself and I was good. He said, No, you, you got to lay back. You got to go with it. You got to trust the process. And it makes me think of right here at Colossians, guys. Because for a long time we've been preaching about all this stuff, and we've been talking about all this application, and Paul's been correcting all this wrong uh, uh, theology that's been spread around and everything. And when you come to the moment of obedience, you understand it requires a new level of faith. I could watch people repel all day long. I could hike. I could zip line. And I could cave dive all day long. But until it came to that new level of obedience, I had to decide if I was going to follow or not. And when you get to that stage, here's what I realized. And here's, here's, here's a good way to write it down for your faith, right? You realize that what has gotten you to where you are won't take you to where you're going. Right? There was no way for me to be at the top of this big old tower and hike back down to the bottom. Unless I took the exact trip all the way back down, of course. But then you have to take the walk of shame. And everybody has to stare at you. I wasn't doing that. My man car wasn't getting removed totally. You know, even though I confess it to you guys now, right? But... That, that, that's what I thought about. You realize that what has gotten you to where you are here won't take you to where you need to get there. And until we're willing to trust Jesus in a new way and keep going, we're not going to get to the next level. And that's what Paul's getting at as he wraps up this, this part of Colossians right here. He's saying like, guys, last week with all the buckets, you know, that, 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 that I ran around and, and I had a customer, by the way, evidently they listen online. And he asked me, he goes, did you really reach between somebody's legs and pull out a bucket? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. If you wasn't here last week, that happened because I'm not scared. You know what I'm saying? Like if I tell you to hand me the bucket, you don't hand me the bucket. I'm going in to get the bucket. Right? Because there's an illustration and people got to get the lunch and we got to get the thing going. Right? So yes. Yes, I will. But 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 in, in this process of all these buckets and all these areas of life and, and all these relationships and the way we handle stuff and all that stuff. Paul says, if we're going to do that, here's just a, a little bit more stuff you need. And he starts it with with prayer. He starts it with evangelism, which seems like a weird thing to, to go into at the same time. And I wrote this for, for this week as, as a key thing I'll come back to at the end. The worst thing we can do is put a period where God put a comma. Right? So, so, so Paul's got this thing and he's got this thing going. He's talking about following Jesus and the church following Jesus. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to pray and we've got to get on mission because we're not called to sit and we're not called to soak. Oh, you know, so, so, so hear me. If we believe, and this is what we believe as, as this church at least, that, that you have a privilege of knowing in a relationship with, with Holy Christ. And therefore you also have a responsibility to spread that thing with other people. To be there for your brothers and sisters in this room that need prayer when they need it. To be generous for others as they've been generous for you. To be generous for others as our Father has been generous for us. So, so Paul gets to this part and, he, and he's in Colossians and he's, he's got this role right here. And he's going to give us three commands. And our three commands I'm going to tell you are completely out of order. I'm going to end with the, with the very first thing. But, but I want you to look at the title. I don't know. Crystal asked me all the time, what's the title for this week so I can get a slide? So I told her I didn't know. So her little smart butt, <laughs> law school student right here, she writes on my paper at the house, I don't know. It saves it. So I get to church and I hand it to her so she can get all the verses in order and all that stuff. And she goes, you didn't change the title. You still got I don't know. Written on there. I said, because that's the title. I don't know. <laughs> and she said, well, you got to think of a better title than that. We can't just say, I don't know for the title. So as I'm walking by trying to think of a title, I said, you know what? Title it. I don't know. Right? How many of you don't know what to pray sometime? If you're honest. But yet, how many of you believe the power of prayer? How many of you believe you could exhibit more prayer? Maybe practice more prayer. Notice the same hands that believe in the power of the prayer are the same hands that go up that they should be exhibiting and exercising more power in their prayer, right? I've been to that stage where I look and I'm like, I don't really know what to pray. Right? We're talking about prayer, we're talking about evangelism. So, so you apply it then the other way. Paul's getting ready to talk about this, this opportunity for evangelism, the opportunity to, to expand the gospel farther. Right? So, so you ever been to a moment you don't know what to say to somebody? That's part of your evangelism, Right? You hear what they say, and then you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. Sometimes not knowing what to say is okay, by the way. Just being present is part of the solution, right? So, so here's some of the commands for when you don't know what to do, what you can do, 
And, and specifically, I'm going to look at three things for prayer. When you don't know what to pray, here's three things you can pray for others and for yourself. So Paul reminds them, very first thing, out of order. Remember, so this goes two all the way through four. He says, number one, pray for us. He says, you want to know what to do? Pray for us. And, and, he, and he preludes it with the fact of, hey man, we've been praying for you. I want you to be reassured, like we've been lifting you up. We, we've been praying for you all the time. And as we've been praying for you, God want to remind you that now you can pray for me. You know, it's one thing to pray for somebody else. It's another thing when somebody you're praying for is also praying for you. Yeah. And that's a cool connection when you get it. Right? So think about that. How, how good of a connection that'd be. And that's what Paul wants them to, to be right here. And as he's tying this thing with evangelism, here's an idea I, I thought of this week. If God didn't call you to go on the mission, I can promise you God called you to pray for the mission. Right? The, completely unplanned, but I'm sitting there thinking like we were, what, two months out before... We send a group to Honduras. We got Daniel and them are now back overcoming COVID and, and, and back in Puerto Rico with groups, you know, getting ready to start bombarding them for the summer and stuff. And I, and I think so many times, how often I hear people say, well, you know, God really didn't call me to go. And that's fine. God doesn't call everybody. We all got different things, right? But I can promise you, if God didn't call you to go, he did call you to pray for it. Because there ain't nothing as the body of believers that we're not supposed to be praying for to expand the kingdom. So Paul says three things. He goes, these are three things I want you to pray. When you don't know what to pray for me or for yourself, here's three things I want you to do. So the very first thing he says in verse four, verse four, he says, so that I may make the gospel known as I should. So his first prayer is this, for wisdom to fulfill gospel obligations. Paul wanted wisdom to know how to fulfill the particular ministry and obligations that God had given to him. We, we've kind of talked about this and you look at a lot of Paul's other letters. Paul believed that he was given a particular personal assignment for the kingdom of God. He called it in, in, in chapter one, either the commission or, or a stewardship. You know, so he's talking specifically about something God has given for only him to do. His mindset when you read some of his other letters is this. It's something that if he didn't do it, it ain't going to get done. Now you could roll with the argument of, well, God could use somebody else and God. True. But what if we operated in the mindset of if I don't do the mission that God called me to do, it won't get done. How different would our lives be? How different would our walk be if we operated in the mission? If I don't raise my kids that way, who's going to? If I don't pray for so-and-so, who's going to? If I don't go visit so-and-so, who's going to? If I don't preach this verse, who's going to? If I don't give this amount of money, who's going to? If I don't do dot, 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 who's going to? You see how different it could be if we operated in that mindset? So Paul didn't have a negative mindset here about God not being able to accomplish something. He's just trying to up the level for himself. I need to do all that I can do. Right? So, so he writes this thing. By the way, in other letters, he believes that this is a gift for every Christian, not just for himself. He believes everybody's got a specific task for a specific thing to, to get this thing done. You could say it this way. I heard a guy say, not everything that comes from heaven has your name on it, but something does. Not everything that comes from heaven has your name on it, but something does. Not every part of the mission is assigned to you, but some part of it is. Right? So something has your name on it. Be responsible. Be obligated to fulfill it. Really, when you read the Bible and you read a lot of what God says, God considers it stealing from him or even calls it wicked if you don't. The men again, Wednesday, and we talked about that, that the parable of the talents. And what does he tell the one guy who didn't do what he should have been doing, evidently, because he had the ability? He says, you're wicked. You've stolen from me. You've wasted opportunity. There are certain, you realize there are certain people in your life that you're the only person that may be able to talk to them in a way that they'll receive the gospel. You realize that, that God's lined it up that way. You've been given certain gifts, certain talents, certain resources that will fulfill certain parts of the great commission that nobody else could do. That nobody else could practice. We need to grab a hold of that, man. Because that would up the ante on, on, on what we believe about stuff, Right? So Paul's very first thing, he says, I want you guys to pray and I want you to pray for wisdom that I'm able one to perceive to see and two that I'm able to fulfill the gospel obligations. He wants to see what's expected of him and he also wants to fulfill it. A lot of us, we want to see it, but we're not really sure if we want to fulfill it. Well, God, let me see what you what you want me to do. Let me see what could happen. Let me see what might happen. Let me see where I could go. But we're not really sold into the fact of I'm going to fulfill it. Also, and I think this, this part really makes me feel good because there's a lot of times in my walk, I'll be honest, even as a pastor where I feel like, God, I don't really know what it is you want me to be doing right now. I need some clarity. And if, if Paul above all people got to a stage in his walk where he still needed some clarity, 
I think I'm in good company to know that I want to seek out clarity and I want to make sure I know what it is exactly that God, you know, wants me to do. You know, so I have that I don't know attitude sometimes. I don't know, you know, what what does God actually want from me right now? What does God expect from me on Monday morning? Sometimes I wonder, like, what does he want me to share Christ with this person this way? Or does he want me to let somebody else do it? Does he want me to take this task or try to grow somebody else and to be in shape? You know, there's a lot of what ifs. What if we just stopped and prayed for wisdom and then the ability to fulfill in the right way? Now, when you feel this way, there's two great comforts that come about. One is the fact the Bible calls us sheep. Again, from Wednesday night, right? The Bible calls us sheep, which we've talked before. Sheep are, they're idiots. They're helpless. They get lost. They're, they're, they're very, for lack of better words, they're very dumb animal. Right? But the good news is, what, with a shepherd that can guide them and, and, and modify them, they're, they're able to get somewhere. Scripture tells me that I've got a really good shepherd that promises to guide me in the path of his righteousness. Amen. Right? So, so one of my areas of comfort is the fact that I am a sheep, but I've got a shepherd. And I know that shepherd's voice. Right? So I've got to be in tune with that. The second source of comfort is this. The Bible demonstrates that God can use whatever instruments he wants to accomplish any purpose he wants. You guys ever study scripture and think about all the people, all the ways, all the things, all the events that God uses? Right? The, the weirdest to me still to this day, I remember all the way from being a little kid, is when he uses that donkey. Right? Not the donkey that brought his, his, his mama into town, but the donkey that spoke. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if he could use a donkey to preach to somebody, right? That's a miracle. I mean, it really is. I mean, to be honest, God's still using asses today to communicate to people. And that ought to make a lot of you feel good. Right? That's the scripture word. Calm down. It's written in the King James that way. Right? You'll be all right. you get over it. But doesn't it make you feel good? You know, if he could use any old donkey, he can use me and ought to. Right? I'll get your attention and keep you awake one way or the other. God's got a purpose for Paul. God's got a purpose for us. We ought to be praying for wisdom and the courage to fulfill it at the same time. Right? All right, here's the second thing he prays or tells him to pray. He says, not only do I want you to pray for the wisdom and the ability for me to fulfill it, I want you to pray for the ability for me to pursue it in new opportunities. Look at what he says. That God may open a door to us for the word. You know, when I think about where Paul's at, you guys know this is like Paul's last leg, right? Like he's on, he's on the end right here. All right? At this point, I'm thinking all that Paul's done, he's done missionary journeys. He's planted churches. He spent a lot of time in prison already previously. He's testified before Roman rulers. You know, if there's anybody in their walk that could say, I've done my part, I'm done, it's Paul. But even at this point, he's still praying that God will open new doors for the gospel. That's amazing. Because how many of us will get a little checklist off our, 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 our box? And we're like, oh, we're done. We did it. Awesome. Right? Paul's saying, I don't just want to do a bunch of checklists. I, Paul, Paul really says this. Paul says, I fully believe what Jesus expressed when he gave the illustration of there being 99 sheep that were good and one that was astray and he went to get to one. Paul says, I care about the, the fact that there's one more out there. And if there's even one more out there that needs the gospel, it's my job to try to reach out to him. Paul says, I could be done, but I'm not. You could be done, but you're not. Paul says, I'm going to lose every last breath I got. To get this thing accomplished. And we need churches to understand the, the motive behind this. You know, for us especially and for others as well. We shouldn't be trying to grow an empire. Unless it's his empire. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we're not trying to grow the biggest church. And, 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 and just for the sake of growth's sake. We're doing this for eternity's sake. Because if we believe the gospel. And we believe what Jesus preaches. Then we believe that eternity is real. And lost people need God. If we believe that there is going to be a kingdom, then we want to fill it with people who are going to follow him, right? Then therefore, that, that should be the thing. Paul says, I'm still going after the one. There's still opportunity for me to keep serving and keep striving. It's not about growing our church bigger. It's about being faithful to the response for the ones that God brings to us. I, I shared this with, with, with the men. Somebody asked me, actually two or three people in a row last week. Thank God for good visitors. I like it. We appreciate you. We really do. But two or three of them in a row just weren't used to the process. And they said, man, what day you guys pass the offering plate? I said, bro, we ain't passing the offering plate since I started. Like, we just, we, we don't do that. There's a box right there. If you want to drop it in, that's cool. Drop it. If not, go about your business. You know what I'm saying? So I asked the men Wednesday night. I said, what if a billionaire came to Brookhaven and wrote a check for $10 billion? $10 billion. You got all the money you will ever need to do anything you ever want to do. Are you going to quit tithing? I hope you understand, no. 
Because your tithe ain't about giving God money he needs. Your tithe's about obedience. Right? You're not, you, you think God needs what you put in that box to get his mission accomplished? Ain't no way. Right? So, so, so the fact of, of this is we need to understand, like, we're to be obedient in the things we've been called to be obedient to, regardless of what's going on around us. Right? Well, they... They got to tell you this, y'all, y'all talk, well, they got 10 people or however many people ready for the mission, sure, right? You realize they funded enough for one more person to go? I'm a, two more people to go, sorry. Funded enough for two more people to go. Now, in my head as pastor, I'm going to be upfront and honest with you guys. I'm thinking that's two people then, because I don't think God provides for something he ain't intending to use. That tells me there's two people that were supposed to go to the assignment to go. If that steps on your toe, then maybe you wanted the two and you should go. If it don't, then don't worry about it. What about you? You know, we worry so much about stuff that ain't about what well, pastor. I don't know if you was trying to offend me or not. Did it offend you? Yes. Then it was about you. <laughs> Pretty simple, is it not? But it didn't offend me. Well, then good. It wasn't about you. I mean, we, we complicate things way more than it's supposed to be. If the spirit wants to speak through me to, to, to offend you, then brother be offended. Amen. And I'm okay with it. <laughs> you don't have to like me. I just want you to get what God's got for you, man. I love you enough to care that you can be mad at me. I'm serious. You can be mad at me all you want to as long as you get what God's got for you. I'm all right with that. I'm man enough to take it. Right? So, so I believe that. I, I really do believe there's two people who are supposed to go that didn't go. I thought it was one, but now it's two. So maybe next week it'll be three. Who, who knows, right? I'm serious though. Think about this. Man, we're praying for God to open up new doors for new ministry opportunities for us. Do you pray that? Are you just happy with the, with the doors that are open? Huh? If you ain't never had a door shut in your face, maybe you need to just so you can get a little glimpse of what it's like to need another door open. Number three, I could go off on another sermon, but I got to stay on track. Number three, still from verse three, Paul prays, listen out about this. This is cool. He prays not for strength, or I'm sorry, he prays for strength, not to waste what I'm going to call, you should write it down this way, gospel circumstances. Gospel circumstances. And what I mean by that, look at this phrase, and still in verse 3, where he says, At the same time, pray for us also that God would open the door. We want the door open. What? To speak the mystery. We want to know what to say, that wisdom, right? For which, while I am in chains. Paul sees his circumstances as divinely arranged. And because he sees them that way, he prays for strength not to waste those circumstances. If I'm Paul, can I be honest? If I'm Paul and I'm praying to a church or writing a letter to a church that, I, that I've been in jail in for a long time, that I've already had the death sentence talked about while I'm in this jail, I'm going to pray, y'all pray I get out of here. I'm going to be selfish. You know what I'm saying? Like pray the chains get loose. Pray God does that shaking thing again where doors get open and this time the angel says you may leave instead of you must stay. Like I, that's what I'm going to pray. Paul's prayer though, look at it. Pray that which while I'm in chains. I don't even have to get out of these chains. I I just want to do what I'm supposed to do while I'm in these chains. Too many of us, we get in circumstances. We get our feelings hurt. So then we get in this trap in our mind that thinks it's all about us. And we forget how sovereign God is. You don't have to like it, but I promise you, God is in control of every circumstance you've ever been in. He may have not put you in it. You may have put yourself in it. But he's in control of it. You understand the difference? And if he's in control of it, therefore that says he can use every circumstance you get in to preach the gospel. To expand the kingdom. To grow believers. You've heard me say it a million times. It's my favorite thing about when we do testimonies. Whether it's at the end of the year, beginning of the year, or when I just hear people begin to share stuff. Right? If you've been through something, don't waste it. Use it. Allow God to use it. It may be, I, I know a lot of us aren't in chains, but what if you saw your circumstances the same way? What if you saw, regardless of my situation, the circumstances I'm in, I understand that they're divinely appointed gospel opportunities. What if we would pray in public <laughs> without fear of the consequences? Without worry of what somebody else will see and what somebody else will think? And hear me right now, please understand, I am not saying all your prayers will be answered the way you want them answered. Notice the pause and the, and the, right? I hear people, that's another thing, by the way. When we talk about praying, I hear people all the time that come up with, a, with an event, a circumstance, and they'd be like, oh, I, I prayed about it. I'd be like, good, what, what did God tell you? He ain't answered yet. Then why'd you stop praying? If you want his answer, why'd you stop praying? Right? 
If you desired for him to fulfill whatever it was you was reaching out about, why have you stopped reaching out about it? Be the annoying, nagging little kid that never lets Abba sleep until Abba gives an answer. Right? You know, he says he kind of desires that, which is weird to think about. Now, I'm not saying all things in your life are going to be easy because you pray either. I'm just saying all of them are directed for a gospel purpose. Think about it this way. What if you get sick and God doesn't heal you? You pray, God heal me. God says no. That's an answer, by the way. Not an answer you want, but it's an answer. Right? God says, no, I'm not going to heal you. You've got to wonder why. Why? So that your family members, so that maybe that doctor and some of those nurses understand that you have a hope that goes beyond physical sickness. That's a gospel. That's a gospel purpose. Right? What, what did you say? God, help me make the team. Or, or help me get the job. Whatever stage of your life you're in, right? But you don't get it. You want, you want, you want a gospel, a gospel purpose for this? Maybe it's so that your friends, so that your family, so that, so that your people around you, they can see that your identity is not wrapped up in having a great job or being on a certain team. That your identity is more secure as a child of God and a servant of God than it is anything else. You see the lessons we can teach as we go through stuff? You ain't got to just have good circumstances to teach stuff. You can teach some of the greatest lessons in a bad circumstance. What about, what about the third? Or, or, or just a third, right? You didn't get the raise that you wanted. Maybe God's trying to teach you to value certain things better. Maybe he's trying to teach you to be content with what you have. There's, there's so many things, man. Paul was in chains, but he's still looking for like more that he can do for the gospel. He saw every setback as a setup, right? What, what if you saw yours the same way? Every setback is a setup. What is God setting me up for now that he set me back in something else? Huh? You ever notice like when you when, when you get pulled back in one of those slingshots or, or a bow and arrow or anything, the more pressure, the more you've been set back, the better you can fly forward? Maybe the same thing with the Lord, right? Maybe you're on the other end of this. Maybe you do have good stuff. All right, then ask yourself the same question, right? Same question. When it comes to generosity, why did God put you in the circumstances you are to have what you got? You can use it both ways, right? Maybe God's made you prosperous and, 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 and full of wealth or whatever. Have you ever asked why? God, why have you blessed me above other people? Why have you allowed me to have things that other people ain't got? And as we're, we're tying in both groups together, by the way, that you, know, you, you study a lot of stuff. Is it really a stretch to think that God gives some people a vision and other people the resources? We're a body of Christ. That means somebody in here got to have a vision. And somebody in here got to have the resources to get it done. And somebody got to be able to use the resources to get it done. Right? We're a body. We, we've all got different parts and different roles and different things. If you're successful, you should say, God, in your sovereignty, why did you allow this? And what can I do to expand the kingdom and stretch out the gospel further? Am I using it the right way? If not, I think you'll hold you accountable for that. On the flip side, some of you think, well, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about with, with having so much you can give it away. I, I'm broke. That's fine. Nobody's saying feel guilty about it. Matter of fact, Paul writes to Corinthians and he tells them, you can't give what you ain't got. Right? Now, that works in a lot of ways in life. Financially, you can't give what you got. And mission related, you can't give what you ain't got. If you ain't got the spirit, you can't give the spirit away. Right? Don't feel guilty. Don't beat yourself up. Someone said it this way. It's a good quote for this week. When God Abrahams me, that's when God really enriches and multiplies your life, right? I want to be faithful to that. Then they wrote, but when God jobs me, I think he's talking about when things are taken away from him, I want to be faithful in that. Will you be faithful when God blesses you with more? Will you be faithful when God takes stuff away? Faithfulness in both of those situations is going to look totally different, but Jesus is to be first in both of those seasons, right? If I'm in the Job season, I want Jesus to be first. That's that repelling season, by the way. That's that. I got everything strapped up. I've made it to the top. And now I got to lean back and trust in him and in him alone to get the job accomplished. And if I don't lay all the way back, it's going to be a, a weird, bumpy ride all the way down. I'll tell you what, testing. We talk about being in seasons of testing, right? I think God is testing me. Why don't you test God? That's a weird way to reword it, isn't it? I, I dare you. Hear me. I dare you to test God and see if God will meet your needs. Not your wants. I dare you to dump everything into, into this faith bucket, to lay back completely on the repelling line, and challenge God to keep his promise. Try it out. And I'll give you the stage one week if it don't work out good for you. 
I'll let you tell everybody. I trusted God and it didn't work. But I'm going to be sitting right there in the front row and I'm going to quiz you to make sure you really trusted fully and even relied on His promises, right? Do we truly trust in Christ? For all of us, whatever circumstances we are, are we really putting Jesus first? Paul's instruction to this church as he wraps up, he's, guys, I need your prayer still. I need your prayer for me. I need you to help me continue to make Jesus and his kingdom first in everything. His gospel obligations, his gospel opportunities, and his gospel circumstances. Paul didn't ask for prayer about personal needs. He didn't say, man, I hope somebody brings me a cheesecake. He didn't say, I really want something good to eat. I really want these chains taken off. I really want somebody to just come and sit with me. He said, I'm praying that doors will get open for the gospel to get preached even further. Number two, he calls them to pray. Then he calls them, verse five, to act wisely. Look at verse five. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. After you prayed for clarity, this is why I changed up the order a little bit. After you prayed for clarity, act wise. Be aware of the, of the preciousness of time, the brief moment to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. The, the psalmist writes and he prays in Psalm chapter 90 verse 12. So teach us to number our days so that we can apply our hearts and learn wisdom. You guys realize how short life is if you've got the wrong priorities? How valuable it could be to have the right priorities? They, uh, Paul was preaching about David in the book of Acts chapter 13. Uh, I think it's around verse 36. And he said, now then David has served God's purposes in his own generation. He fell asleep. Man, I wish at my funeral that's what could be said about me. I served, I fulfilled my purposes that God had for me. And then I just went to be with Jesus. Is that not a good way to wrap it up? Right? That's what, that's what he's preaching and praying about. The shortness and the precious of life. If you're young, sometimes you go through a trap and feel like life's going to last forever. I got news for you. The death rate in America is still one for one. Guaranteed. Right? One for one. Yeah, I've reached an age. Let me be honest with you guys. I realized something this week. Last week. I've reached an age where I watch some of the old actors and actresses and their new stuff. And they don't look as hot as they used to. <laughs> That's a good honest way of putting it, right? Even the guys. Not that I'm gay in any way, okay? But I'm just being honest. Like, they, they don't look as buff as they used to. The skin don't look as tight as it used to. They start to look a little wrinkly. They start to look a little saggy. They, they just don't look the same that they used to look. Now, there's a couple that have done a fine job. And we'd like to congratulate plastic surgery on that. Because <laughs> that ain't real. Huh? But think about it. Here's what I realized. Oh, here, here's how it hit me. I'm watching some of this in, in their new movies. And I'm thinking back to like old movies. And I'm like, man. He used to be able to do this. Or she used to look like that. And, and, and you're going through all I said. And then it hit me. I'm like, hold on. These are the same actors. That means one day I'm not going to be as beautiful as I am right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, one day the beauty is going to leave me. Huh? Some of y'all are like, it already gone, bro. <laughs> Time is no respect. <laughs> Dang, you didn't have to amen. Out of all the things I done preached today, that's what gets amen? Really? Man. Isaiah wrote talking about like, uh, I didn't get the quote exactly right, so we left it all. But he talks about like this uh, sand being washed away by waves and, and, and grass changing. Jesus says in John chapter 9, work while it is day for the night is coming where no man will be able to work. Paul is saying act wisely. Because it's limited in how much time you got to be able to fulfill your role. Now, I grab the opposite of that, right? Because the opposite of wise is what? Foolish. We've been talking about that for, for this, this chapter, or this book, I'm sorry, and on Wednesday nights. So acting foolishly means what? The opposite. Not taking eternity into account. If you act foolish, you're not investing in things that last forever. If you act foolish, it means you spend your time climbing the ladder of success, and then you realize it was leaning against the wrong building. Right? It means you're worried about providing a comfortable life, and you forgot all about eternity. Acting foolishly is when you spend your life focusing on keeping your family close, making them secure, developing a pile of money for them, but you forget to teach them that there's more after this. Right? Knowing that life's not about accumulating stuff, but investing in eternity. You know, we talk about investing in eternity. You know the best eternity investment you can make? People. Right? Because if you invest in somebody, then they invest in somebody, then they invest in somebody, it keeps it going forever. What, what does Paul say in verse 5? Walk in wisdom toward what? Toward those who are outside. Toward those who aren't with us. 
toward a life that, that, that isn't. And here's what I love. Paul's transition now. He said, your life just ain't lived in the prayer closet. You know, we, we love all that stuff about prayer because we can strap ourselves by ourselves. And, and there, no, it ain't just about living in a prayer closet. It's about living Christ-like outside. He said, I want you to walk in wisdom toward, y'all hear that, right? Toward the outsiders. Not sitting in your little seat waiting on them to come to you, but going toward them. How we speak has a lot to do with this. So what does he say? So that verse six, by the way, so let our speech always be with grace so that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Could you imagine if you prayed before talking to people that you would know the answer and how to answer what they're about to ask? But yet we get stuck in that. What do we call it in the beginning? I don't know. I don't know. What if you actually sought out an answer for him? Paul believed that Christians would answer others from biblical truth. Not making up an answer either, by the way. Y'all ever read some of the forums sometime when you're trying to do a job you don't know how to do? So you Google it and get on one of those forums. You're like, hey, how many? And here's the funny thing. You'll read the question and people will write the question right. How many of you guys have done this? And what can you recommend on how to do this? And then you read some of the responses and there's, there's 25 people that say, well, I've never done it. Then shut up. First question he said was, if you've done this, tell me how to do it. I've never done this, but here's how I would approach it. Here's what I think would work. Anybody asking what you think would work? We asking what has worked. We ain't got time to waste on what we think will work. We want to know what will work. Right? Find you some believers that know and believers who don't know. Stop making up answers. Stop speculating. Go seek it out and find it. Right? He says that they may know how to answer each one. Biblical truth. By the way, I think a little bit of what he's talking about here is he gets to the salt word in a minute. Is it going to be not changing the message, but maybe sometimes we need to learn how to change how we say the message. Right? You could translate verse 6 this way. Let your speech also be with gracious charm, seasoned with salt of wit, so that you will know the right answer to give for every case. If you want your voice to be heard, you better start seasoning your speech. Right? And season it good. Season it right. Because sometimes what we say is just as important, if not more important, than what we say. I'm talking about, sorry, Howie, how, how, mess that up. Scratch that, thank you, Danny, for the look. I'd have never known it was wrong, right? Sometimes how we say is just as important, if not more, than what we say. Now, does that make sense? Yeah, now I get the head nod, right? I got the look of them, you get it wrong. The way we say something is just as important as what we're saying sometimes, right? Strive to cultivate. Here's what Paul's saying. Strive to cultivate the gift of pleasant, wise conversation. Speaking appropriately to each person. Which means you've got to know your audience. Right? Now, we talk all the time about salt having uh, two primary purposes, but I'm going to throw a third in there, right? We know that salt preserves. We preached that before from Matthew, right? We know that salt adds flavor. So, so you could say... You know, from this right here, from verse 6, where it says your words should be seasoned with salt. It means that we should preserve and not corrupt. It means that we should make it taste good and not and, and, and promote well-being. Right? But you know something else salt does? Y'all ever eat a big old bucket of fries? Uh-huh. All right. So y'all, hey, y'all ready for fries, right? What's it do? Makes you thirsty, man. So, so it's not just to preserve and have flavor. You better present it in a way to make somebody thirsty for more. Right? I, I pray that at least some of the time when I preach, you guys get thirsty enough to seek something out during the week. Open the word and read more, check something out, or ask somebody's question, or at least discuss something at the lunch break, right? Thirsty enough to want to come back and get some more of it. What about you when you preach to people or speak to people? Are you speaking in a way that makes them thirsty and want to come back to you? You speaking in a way where, where they want what you got? Or they think it might taste good? James says you can't draw fresh water out of a salty spring in chapter 3, right? That means what? You can't fake what's in your heart. That's what James is getting down to. It's not a question of learning to say the right thing. It's about having the right attitude. If you've got the right attitude, it comes forth. Matthew chapter 12. The things, of, the things that you are in your heart come forth. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 18. The tongue of the wise promotes health. What in the opposite is true, right? The tongue of the foolish promotes what? Sickness. Some of y'all feel sick because of words you've been saying to yourself that you shouldn't be saying to yourself. Some people around you are sick of being around you because words you saying, how you talking, right? Proverbs said the tongue of the wise promotes health. So you can either line up your mouth and your heart, your head, line those three things up and preach what the devil's saying, or you can line those three things up and preach what lines up with the word of God, right? Healthy or sick. What, what are you bringing forth to those around you? 
Believing and saying what God says, believing and saying the devil's lies. Colossians chapter 4, 2 through 6 shows us that God is concerned both about our personal prayer life and our interaction with the Word. Our public ministry in the street. He cares about both. Right? He wants, he wants all this stuff connected that he's been preaching, by the way. Right? He's been talking about refuting bad doctrine. Why? You refute it so that you can get out there and preach it right. But all the correct knowledge in the world is going to do little good if you don't apply it. Apply it first in your prayer closet. The order is important. Then you apply it in the public street, right? Paul, Paul wraps this letter up, right? He's saying, if you want to talk to others about God, then you better talk to God about others first. Maybe that's a good way to say it. I like that, right? If you want to talk to others about God, then maybe you should talk to, about, talk to God about others first. Last thing he says. Go all the way back to verse 2, back to the beginning. I told you the order was all messed up, right? He says, stay alert. Stay alert. Now, he uses it two ways. Of course, he's saying, stay alert, be, be, be aware of what's around you. But he's also, you know, looking out for what God wants him to do next. We talked about that with the open door. Right? That, that Go back to the beginning where he said, never put a period where God, you know, puts a comma. Paul knew that God wasn't done. Jesus still cared about the one that was wondering. It's time. It's time for us as well as Paul to listen to the voice of Jesus and put him first. We talked about first generation faith. It's time right now then that we get a second wave of first generation faith. We, we talked about that weeks ago, right? God has done so many amazing things, but God's not done. God's got new people to reach. God's got new lives to change. God's got brokenness to heal cities and nations to transform. And, and if we don't believe that, then we might as well shut the doors and stop. But if we do believe it, we better get on board and start doing it. God used all the way in the beginning simple spirit-prompted obedience to be the conduit that he poured out his power through. I, w- I want to be, be that. God doesn't need my skill and talent. He don't need your skill and talent. We need his. But we need to be the vessel that he can go through with. Right? That, that word, some of your translations has that word vig- vigilant there. That, that's the Greek word that means to be wakeful. Now, let's just be honest for a minute before we get into more of what he could means, right? Sometimes we're a little tired when we pray, are we not? How many people ever fell asleep praying? Ah, y'all look around and I'm raising their hands. Why y'all put your hands down so fast? Y'all scared? Huh? Sometimes we do, but let me ask you this. Is that because we pick an inappropriate time to pray? And I'm not saying falling asleep talking to God is a bad thing. You know what I'm saying? Like fall asleep talking to him, wake up talking to him. But if you're praying about specific stuff like Paul's talking about, and we consider prayer to be such an important thing, why is it we wait to the last minute to do it? Why is it we wait to the nothing else to do to do it? Well, if it's really that important, what if we would just stop what we're doing and pray? If it's really that important, when somebody's scared almost to tell you, I'm about to pray, why wouldn't we reach out and grab a hand and say, just do it, sister? Bust it out right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, what? Well, why? If it's really that important and we believe in it that much, why don't we give it the respect that's due? Planning out an appropriate time to do so. You know, people, as he's talking about just staying awake, staying alert, people who don't expect trouble, they're unaware of the danger when it comes. You get overconfident sometimes. You don't know when temptation knocks on your door how to handle it, Right? You're anything but alert. You know, I, I wonder sometimes how different, you know, Jesus knew everything, right? So how, how different could it have been for those, those was it three or four disciples that he talks in, about praying while he's in the garden? And it was uh, John, Peter, and uh, James. I think there was one more, but I, I can't remember. Right, but, but could you imagine what he come back? Are you guys asleep again? And you got to stay awake. What, was he not, was he not, I know he wanted them praying for him, but, but you think in the power of praying for him, they could have empowered themselves? Try praying for somebody else and tell me it don't empower you. It does because you get closer with God. So it fills you up with the ability to handle more, to do more, to take on more. Right? So, so as he was coming back and telling them, stay awake and pray, stay awake and pray. I bet he knew what temptations was coming their way. I bet he knew what dangers was coming their way. And he was saying, if you guys were prayed up before the moment, you would have survived it better. Right? Think about it this way. How many of you got your cell phone with you? All of you, just raise your hands so you don't go to hell. Right? Man. Right, so, so you got that cell phone with you. What does that cell phone do? Just give me things it does. Communication. Communication. You call somebody. Text. Text somebody. 
FaceTime somebody. Is that all y'all do with y'all's phones is communicate? Y'all need to get a flip phone. Y'all need to get rid of the smartphones y'all got. What does it do? Cause you trouble. It can get you in trouble, that's for sure. Play games, adventures. Map quest, flashlight. There you go. Check the weather. It does all that? Wow. What does it do if the battery dies? So it's got all that capability, but without power, it can't do nothing. All right, now here, here's my question. Do you guys then plug it in when you need it? Who does? Who said they only plug it in when they need it? Oh, don't make excuses now. You're talking about routine, right? Every night I plug mine in because I want it full of power before I need it. But do we do that with prayer? No, we wait till we need it to start praying, right? Is that right? But we treat our phone, our phone, with more respect. So we plug it in to charge it up early. So much so that when I unplug mine in the morning, I plug crystals in. Right? I want to make sure I can track her. I got, I got track my <laughs> friend finder, whatever the heck it's called. I don't even know the name of it. Right? Ruin that one. But, <laughs> but think about it. Like, like, so, so, so we charge our phones in advance, but you're telling me we don't pray in advance? We don't get powered up in advance. He goes, he goes even further in this thing when he's, when he's talking about this staying awake and praying and, and talking. And he said it ought to have some thanksgiving with it. You know what that makes me think of? Prayer ought to be mingled with some praise. It ain't all just about asking for something. It ain't all just about begging for something. It ought to have some praise in it. It ought to have some thanksgiving in it. It ought to have some, you know what, Lord? I sat back. I interceded. I watched for answers. I got your answer. And now I want to praise you for your answer. Amen. How many of y'all pray after you get the answer? I bet half the hands. I'm telling you, I bet half. Because we're quick to pray when we need it, and then we get the answer, we always forget to what? There's, there's a parable about that, only 10%, wasn't it? They came back to say thank you? Huh? Yeah? Is that us? Are we the ones just sitting back grateful that we got the answer but not praising for it? Man, review the, this thing in order right here, right? Your speech comes from the way you walk or into the way you walk. Making the most of your time. How you speak, make them thirsty, right? All goes back to the open, open door. Let me give you a closing illustration. I got the middle school Sunday, Sunday school team. Go help me here, right? Y'all right. stand up here. Just anywhere. Paxing me on that end. You three boys in the middle. Haley down here. She's not middle school yet, but she's trying to get there. <laughs> right? Huh? Oh, Tucker, you're in middle school either? He's trying to get there too. Right? It's a process. Here's my thing. We talk, we talk about prayer. We talk about evangelism. We talk, and I don't know what your, what your mission is. So Haley can represent somebody who needs the gospel. Right? Somebody we're going to take the word to. Right? Or she can, she can maybe even represent something else in your life that you need. Right? But you ever tried to get to something you need or preach to somebody you wanted to preach to in a good way? And there's all these roadblocks in the way. These are doors. Right? This is this is the gospel. This is this is Paxson who's trying to get to his, his, his we never call her your sister for now, okay? He's trying trying to get to the one he, he cares about and wants to share. Right? With. So so go ahead, go to her. Share the gospel, man. You gotta go to her. You gotta go to her. Huh? There's doors in your way. Alright, go back, go ahead. Here's what, this is what Paul's saying through the whole thing. And this is a good illustration to wrap up all six of these, or five of these verses, right? Paul is saying that if we try to do this part without first going to the power source, we get in a lot of trouble when it stops us. So, Paxton, now he's going to follow Scripture, he's going to follow Paul. And Paul said, you're first to pray about it. You better pray faster next time, boy. Right? He's praying, right? In his prayer, what's he doing? No, I just gave you three things. Connect to a God. All right, I give you the holy answer. Right? I just gave you three things. What's he praying? Clarity. What else? Did you get scared, put your hand down, or you really got an answer? Open door. Strength and courage. So he's praying. His father, he's connected with the father who's coming down, who's going to make his path clear. You gotta get out the way. You gotta go. You get out the way. Right? Now he can come up from prayer.
going. You don't come to him. He comes to you. You see the difference, though, guys? You see the difference in how a lot of stuff in our life could be if we would pray first? I fully believe some of the doors that get closed in our face and some of the roadblocks and, and hiccups that we step in and we get in a mess on, I fully believe a lot of them are because we didn't seek out Daddy's will first. And if we did seek out Daddy's will, we did still thought we could do it on our own, so we didn't seek out His help to do it. Now this sounds good this morning and it's great. I bet tomorrow, I bet tomorrow would be the most prayed up church around. I believe that. I do. I think there was some good stuff today. I think there was some, some good words in there. And, and I, think to, I think tomorrow, when Father Abba's sitting on his throne, and he starts hearing, he's going to be like, dang, I thought some of the people at Brookhaven fell asleep. I didn't know they were still connected to me. He's going to get bombarded with prayer. Maybe it'll last a week. Can you imagine entertaining and tickling God's ears for a whole week? My question then is, why would it stop? It's not about what we're going to do tomorrow. It's not about what we're going to do all week. It's about what you're going to do with your life. What you're going to do with the time that you've got. Making the most of every opportunity. Right? What, what would happen if we reached first? You know what I'm saying? Like in life, what would happen if we reached first? Your relationships. How different would they be if you, if you tried to be the solution all the time? Right? How different would it be if, if you were the one seeking the, the answer all the time? Instead of waiting. You know, sometimes we just wait. And, and waiting can be good. Some of y'all need to learn in your prayer. The problem with your prayer life is you don't like waiting. Right? Because here's what y'all do in your prayer life sometimes. You be praying, and you be telling God a deadline. God, here's what I want, and here's when I want it. I, I'm going to tell you right now, when you do that, I promise you, God busts out in laughter. Holy laughter, but it's laughter. Right? Because he's like, you, you gonna tell me? You can't even decide what clothes to put on tomorrow morning. Yet you gonna tell me how to answer the prayer and when to answer the prayer? Some of y'all just need to learn to wait. But some of us, we've been waiting when God told us not to wait. You got to have to, you know what I'm saying? You got to be in tune with the Spirit. That's why Paul prays. I want you to pray for my wisdom that I understand where I'm at. If I need to wait, then I'll just sit right here and wait. But if I'm done with the waiting stage and I need to be the one to go for then I want the doors open. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. God, help us to be bold enough for God to move. Help us be courageous enough for God to sit still if we need to. Above all, Lord God, I pray right now for discernment and for wisdom, Lord God, for every one of your children in this room. For the believers, Lord God, that are seeking you. I pray, Lord God, they hear directly from you, Lord God, what it is you expect. God, I pray that you give them wisdom on how to handle what it is they've been praying about. God, I pray if there's doors that have been closed that need to be opened, then you open them. But God, I pray if there's doors that are closed for a reason, and you get both the jokers shut. Because God, I pray above everything else for every single one of us, myself included in this room, Lord God, that we are seeking you and putting you first above everything else. Because Lord God, if you are number one, you are in control. If it is truly your kingdom and we are your servants, then Lord God, you will take care of all the details. God, we put complete trust in you. We're trusting you for your promises. God, we're calling you on your word. And it just feels good to so leave it all over to you. In your name we pray. Amen.